Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Good evening. By pressing play, you've unlocked a door with the key of imagination. Beyond is another dimension, a dimension of sound, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. Welcome to Agoraphobia, the Agora Podcast Network's spooktacular month of ghoulishly engaging content, celebrating the spirit of the Halloween season. So turn on all the lights, check all the closets and cupboards, look under the beds, and continue, if you dare. Yes, welcome, welcome one and all to the fourth annual edition of Agoraphobia, the Agora Podcast Network's annual celebration of the spooky, the unusual, the macabre, and the grotesque. For the month of October, we will once again be bringing you stories from different eras and areas to prove once and for all that All Hallows' Eve is the best time of the year. This anim, the ceremonial rites, shall be incanted by none other than Dominic Perry, the High Priest of the History of Egypt podcast, who has come to tell us a tale as old as time and a song as old as rhyme. The story of the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Two thousand years ago, everyone knew that Egypt was the land of magic. The Nile Valley was home to countless gods, and magicians who delved deep into texts of divine knowledge, arcana, and sorcery. The temples of the land were home to men of hidden knowledge, Priests who performed spells, summoned the spirits of the dead, and even conversed with gods. The Egyptian priests could cure diseases by consulting the zodiac, combining their discoveries with herbs and stones. They knew the secret names of deities, and the true nature of every plant, element, and animal. With over 3,000 years of history behind them, the magicians of Egypt were the greatest in the world. So the stories said. Nineteen hundred years ago, a Greek writer named Lucian put pen to paper and recorded a story. It was a tale destined for immortality. Long after he wrote it, Lucian's fable was modified into a poem by the German writer Goethe, and soon after that, the Walt Disney Corporation added the story to their musical extravaganza Fantasia. 
Over 2,000 years, this story has grown in the telling. Today, we see how it began. This is the tale of the Sorcerer's Apprentice. It began a long time ago in the land of the Nile. Once upon a time, a man named Eucrates came to Egypt. He came to study, for his father wished him to gain education in the renowned temples, libraries, and academies of Alexandria. Like many Greeks, Eucrates would learn mathematics, medicine, theology, and astronomy in the most ancient of kingdoms, and he would have an opportunity to witness the great monuments of long-dead kings, the towering symbols of pharaonic splendor. After spending some time in Alexandria, Eucrates set off on a holiday tour, sailing up the River Nile into the southern regions of Egypt. It is here that his story began. Quote, when I was living in Egypt during my youth, my father had sent me travelling for education. I took it into my head to sail upriver to Coptos, and from there travel to the statue of Memnon at Thebes, in order to hear it sound that marvellous salutation to the rising sun. But on the voyage upriver, there happened to be a man from Memphis, one of the scribes of the temple. He was wonderfully learned, familiar with all the culture of the Egyptians. He was said to have lived underground for 23 years in their sanctuaries, learning magic from Isis herself. His name was Pancrates, a holy man, clean-shaven in white linen, always deep in thought. He spoke imperfect Greek, he was tall and flat-nosed, with protruding lips and thinnish legs. At first, I did not know who this man was, but when I saw him working all sorts of miracles whenever we anchored the boat, particularly riding on crocodiles and swimming in company with the beasts, I recognized that Pancrates was a holy man. End quote. Eucrates made friends with an Egyptian priest, a man named Pancrates. The name means all-powerful, which is appropriate for a magician. Pancrates was a classic Egyptian priest, clean-shaven, dressed impeccably in white, and always pensive. Like all Egyptian priests, Pancrates was also a great magician, and he was able to show Eucrates some of his skills on the journey. Pancrates could command the animals, making terrible beasts like crocodiles or hippos placid enough to ride. Impressed, Eucrates sought the wisdom of this powerful priest and begged him to share some of his knowledge. Quote, I recognized that Pancrates was a holy man, and through my friendly behavior, I became his companion and associate, so that he shared all of his secret knowledge with me. Pancrates persuaded me to leave all of my servants behind in Memphis, and to carry on with him alone. He said that we would not lack any people to wait upon us, so after that we carried on our way. But whenever we came to a rest stop, the priest would take the bar of a door, or a broom, or even a pestle. He would put clothes upon it, say a certain spell, and by this he would make the broom walk, appearing to everyone else to be a man. This broom would go off and draw water, and buy provisions, and prepare meals, and in every way serve us and wait upon us. Then, when he was through, Pancrates would again make the broom a broom by saying another spell over it. End quote. Things are starting to sound familiar, yes? Pancrates, the magician-priest, has the knowledge of animating spells. 
he can take an ordinary object, say a broom, and enchant it so that it will come to life. The broom will fetch jars of water, or go to the market and buy provisions, and no one notices, for the enchantment is so skilful that people mistake the broom for a man. Eucrates, naturally, was very interested in this particular spell. Conjuring a personal servant using just a broom or a pestle? That is much cheaper than keeping a slave. So Eucrates tried to uncover the secret. Unfortunately, Pancrates was not sharing this one. Quote, I was very keen to learn this from him, but I could not do so, for he was jealous of his knowledge. But one day I secretly overheard the spell by hiding in a dark place. Pancrates went off to the square after telling the broom what it had to do, and on the next day, while he was doing some business in the square, I took the broom, dressed it up in the same way, said the syllables over it, and told it to carry water. The broom came to life and did as I had told. But when the broom had filled and brought in the jar, I said, Stop! Do not carry any more water. Now be a broom again. But it would not obey me. It kept on carrying water until it filled the house by pouring it in. I was at my wit's end, for I feared that Pancrates might come back and be angry. So I took an axe and I cut the broom in two. But then each part took a jar and began to carry water, with the result that instead of one servant, I now had two. End quote. The magician's apprentice enchants a broom to fetch water, and the animated object begins to obey. But the apprentice is dabbling with things he does not know, and very quickly things begin to get out of hand. Mickey, sorry, Eucrates, becomes agitated. The broom is not stopping, and he has forgotten the spell to return it to its proper state. Mick, Eucrates, takes an axe and splits the broom in two, only to find that it returns doubled. Like some kind of dust-cleaning hydra, the two brooms begin to fetch water independently. If Eucrates' mouse isn't careful, he's going to wind up with a flooded home. Fortunately, the apprentice was not alone. Quote, Meanwhile, Pancrates reappeared on the scene, and comprehending what had happened, he turned the brooms into wood again, just as they were before the spell. Then, for his own part, he left me to my own devices without warning, taking himself away, out of sight. End quote. The stern magician Pancrates returns, the spell is corrected, and Eucrates is saved from a most humiliating catastrophe. But he is not spared punishment. Angered, Pancrates now abandons the young apprentice, and we know not where he went. The tale sort of ends here, but Eucrates treats us to a short epilogue. As Eucrates tells his story, the man listening is somewhat bemused by his outlandish claims to magic. Everyone knows that Egyptian priests can do magic, but Eucrates? Pah! The man couldn't bewitch a fly to go in a circle. Skeptical of these stories, the man listening questions Eucrates on his ability. Quote, So do you still know how to turn the broom into a man? said the listener, Dinomachus. Yes, said Eucrates, but only halfway, for I cannot bring it back to its original form once it becomes a water carrier, and if I do it, we would be obliged to let the house be flooded with the water that has poured in. Ha! Will you never stop telling such nonsense, old men like you? 
If you will not, for the sake of the children, you should at least be easy with them and not accustom them to hear things like this, which will stick around and fill their heads with all sorts of superstition. End quote. Ah, Eucrates, your tall tale has not convinced anyone. Still, I believe you. Everyone knows that Egyptian magicians were capable of the most spectacular feats. Surely, we will hear many more examples of such magic on the History of Egypt podcast. Next, we have Benjamin Jacobs from the Wittenberg to Westphalia podcast, who, as always, is looking to make a splash by unloading yet another explosive story in urgent need of expression. In my dream, I saw vermin, rats feeding on grubs, their tails entwined with worms and maggots, while midges swarmed and were, in their turn, chased by flies. The warm, damp air rose like a horrible embrace, and within it, I heard a low growl. I woke with a start. In the bed, as usual, were my wife, Beatrice, our three children, the new apprentice, and my wife's maidservant. All were disturbed by my sudden violent action. The servants, used to such events, pressed their heads into their straw mattresses and hoped to find more sleep before the daylight hours or their master's orders disturbed them. The children whimpered slightly, but soon they too were asleep. Beatrice, suspecting me of amorous intent, sharply reminded me that it was the eve of a fasting day and suggested that I return to sleep. She then aimed a few whispered obscenities in my direction before regaining her repose. Once the household was settled back into their slumber, I arose and sought relief for the true cause of my nocturnal disturbance. In terms even more harsh than those used by my beloved wife, my bowels had reproached my slumber with an unaccustomed insistence on relief from their necessities. Making my way to the chamber pot, I found it already partially occupied with earlier leavings, but my discomfort did not permit me the time to empty the pot out the window, before leaving a deposit of my own. As I crouched over the pot, I found the act took on a level of unaccustomed violence, and soon the pain had spread like fire through my abdomen. My thoughts strayed involuntarily to my conversation with the neighborhood butcher earlier that day. His shop had been closed for several weeks, and he reported that he had suffered from such painful urgencies. The apothecary, joining our conversation unbidden, named the condition as the bloody flux, and described a variety of long-winded cures for the malady. Spurred on by his outpouring of verbosity, the butcher and I concluded our business and went our separate ways. A cry escaped my lips, which, together with the usual noise accompanying such an act of nature, once again woke the remaining occupants of the bed. The servants swore under their breaths, hoping that neither I nor God would hear their blasphemies, though they would be disappointed on both counts. As the children awoke and began to fuss, Beatrice was less circumspect, Far from providing the sympathy that one might hope for from a wife who finds her husband in discomfort, my dear wife instructed me to, in no uncertain terms that if I did not repair to the basement lavatory voluntarily, using the stairs, she would ensure that I headed in that direction involuntarily, using the window. Then she turned her attention to the young ones and attempted to return them to their slumber. It took me more than a minute to comply with this request, despite the continued remonstrances of my beloved partner in all things good and bad, due to the physical frailty that had come upon me. Nonetheless, as soon as I was able, I gingerly arose and headed for the basement with the chamber pot, which was now quite over full. Leaving a trail of reeking filth in my wake, I made my way down the stairs to the basement. As I passed the first floor, I considered waking my journeymen and requesting them to bring me a candle, but decided against it. 
Having two of the three parts of the household cross with me already, I decided to avoid angering the remaining third. As I entered the cellar, the damp, cool air of that space rose to meet me. The smell of onions, garlics, and leeks from the root cellar mingled with the smell of mildew and the night soil in the lavatory as my bare feet met the packed earth and pebbles of the floor. Between the sounds of my feet and my focus on other, weightier matters, I did not notice the usual nighttime noises of the cellar, the low, constant sound of chirping and squeaking and the padded steps of small feet. The basement was pitch black, with barely a shred of moonlight following me down the stairs from the front hall. Approaching the lavatory, I placed the chamber pot on the ground and found the wooden cover of the cesspit, as much by touch and smell and memory as by sight. Feeling for the wooden cover, I pushed the round plank away that I might access my home's only permanent facility for the relief of natural urgencies. The strong smell of night soil rose to my nostrils, and I prayed, without much hope I must admit, that my time in the lavatory would be short. The butcher had been sick for two weeks, and the thought of spending that much time in the dark and reek of the basement was not a welcome thought. Retrieving the chamber pot, I felt my way back to the lip of the cesspit. Placing my toes on one of the dry stones that made up the outside wall of the cesspit, I extended the chamber pot and began to empty its contents. I did this with my customary backwards lean, as much in the hope of keeping my nose clear of the reek as to keep my balance. This, too, was a vain hope. Suddenly, I felt a growl come from within myself. As my bowels began once again to demand my attention, I was convulsed with another outrage of abdominal pain. Involuntarily, I bent at the waist, thrusting my head forward over the pit and loosening my hold on the chamber pot. I barely perceived the pot leaving my fingers and plunging into the gaping void below. At first, I heard only a muffled splash as it hit the viscous layer of congealed filth at the top of the pit. Before I could begin even considering the cost of replacing this necessary and intimate household item, my attention was grabbed by a low noise. To my alarm, I found the growl had left my innards and was now emerging from the pit itself, over which I was still partially suspended by my abdominal agonies. Alarmed, I sought to lean away from the pit, but before I could, I felt a warm embrace akin to a warm, wet blanket rising from the void below. Now I could see, as if by some unnatural light, the people of the pit disturbed by my actions, rats and mice climbing down the walls to pick grubs from the top layers, their tails entwined with the worms and maggots of that city of filth. Flies chased midges, and midges pestered the rats, but all turned their attention to see the one who had disturbed their hellish society. A shout rose in rage, but this shout was met by the suffocating growl, or gurgle, a guttural sound of low malice and despair that could be none other than the Dark One himself. His arms extended through the darkness to take me. I felt his minions around me, buzzing around my ears, crawling up my legs, the sickening warmth around me. I awoke with a start. As my head hit the stone wall of the cesspit, I tried to scream as my face plunged into the filth, but my mouth and nostrils were filled with the putrid remains of a thousand household dinners. The worms covered me. All was darkness. If you'd like to hear more about life in the Middle Ages, check out Wittenberg to Westphalia, The Wars of the Reformation, where we're taking a deep, deep dive on European history. <laughs> uh, this entire thing is about poop. A warm welcome back to those of you who made it back. And 
and a little bit of advice to take with you before you go. Not all knowledge is safe, and some things you can't unhear. The smartest of you will count your blessings and stay clear of dark corners and dangerous downloads. But those of you more daring who laugh in the face of fear will undoubtedly be back like a moth drawn to the flame for the next installment of Agoraphobia. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.